Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each of us. Peace be with you. Friends, our first reading for this um, Sunday is from the wonderful second book of Samuel. And I had the privilege, as you might know, a couple years ago to do some serious research on 2 Samuel because I wrote the commentary in the Brazos commentary series. Anyway, that's a little plug for my book, I suppose. But I, I came to love this text, and I think it really is one of the pivotal texts in the whole Bible. And the scene we have today, which is the confrontation between the prophet Nathan and King David, is one of the pivotal scenes in this pivotal book. And so we're on very holy ground, I think. To get it now, we have to go back to the previous chapter, chapter 11, which sets up the story to which this is kind of a climax today. Listen now how chapter 11 of 2 Samuel begins. At the turn of the year, when kings go out on campaign, David sent out Joab along with his officers and the army of Israel. David, however, remained in Jerusalem. Well, see, in the typical laconic biblical way, there's an awful lot packed into that little seemingly um, superficial statement. David was the great king of Israel, and man, was he a fighter. From the time he, he took on the giant Goliath, through his campaigns under Saul, his struggle against Saul, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, his battles with the Philistines, David was always willing to fight. So our first question is, at the time of the year when kings go out on campaign, why in the world is David sending somebody else, and why is he staying home? Hmm, lesson number one, if you want, don't absent yourself from the fight. Now, again, I'm speaking metaphorically here. We're not all in the military. What I mean is we're all part of the church militant, right? We're all fighters. We all got a mission. Things start going bad, everybody, when we stay home rather than engage in the mission. So watch what happens now to this you know, once intrepid warrior. One evening, David rose from his siesta and strolled about on the roof of the palace. Now, notice, too, this little detail that he rises from his siesta. And these are you know, Mediterranean people, so people take siestas, which I think is a great custom, by the way. But in the evening, he rises from his siesta. How long was he asleep? The implication is this was a long nap that the once intrepid warrior has taken. And he strolls about on the roof of his palace. Now, see, watch it. Whenever human beings assume a sort of high supervisory position, things go wrong. Because our proper stance is humility before the Lord. God is in a supervisory role. Our role is to hear and obey. David, and it's very interesting, as this story of Bathsheba unfolds, God is just not there. He's just not mentioned. He's not invoked. There's a problem. So David is staying away from the battle, and now he's acting like God. What happens? From the roof, he saw a woman bathing who was very beautiful. 
David had inquiries made about the woman and was told she's Bathsheba, wife of Joab's armor bearer, Uriah the Hittite. Now, beautiful woman, he sees her bathing, uh, attracted to her, yes, indeed. And in itself, I suppose nothing really wrong with that. But the minute he finds out this is the wife, in fact, of the very man that he sends, the armor bearer of the man he sent to fight for him, he should have said, okay, <laughs> she's someone else's wife. I can't be pursuing her, right? But he doesn't. What do we hear? David sent messengers and took her. Notice how how uh, almost brutally that language conveys what's going on. David sent and took her. When she came to him, he had relations with her at a time when she was just purified after her monthly period. And the woman conceived and sent the information to David. So again, typically understated biblical fashion, we see this scene played out. David, who um, manipulates, orders, commands, takes, does what he wants. This is not the biblical ideal, everybody. The biblical ideal is always listening, obeying, following a higher will, not exercising in a godlike way our own wills. Okay, so David says, look, I'm in some trouble here. Uh, I got the wife of another man pregnant, but heck, I'm the king, so I can find a way out of this thing. And what's his plan? His plan is to send for Bathsheba's husband, Uriah the Hittite, who's off at war, where David should be, mind you, sends for him, and he'll say, well, he'll he'll come home and then have relations with her, and everyone will think it's it's his baby. Uh, Problem solved, right? But the trouble is David is up against a very faithful son of Israel. So he brings home Uriah the Hittite. He, in fact, gets him drunk, and he tries to uh, cajole him, and then he tries to send him home. But Uriah says, no, 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 no. You know, my Lord's soldiers are out in the field, and who am I to go home and spend time with my wife? I'll I'll stay right here. And he sleeps dutifully in, in the stairway at the king's palace. So David tries again. You know, he's the king. He gets what he wants. Tries again, but Uriah the Hittite, he's a Boy Scout. I mean that as a compliment. I mean, he's a loyal, faithful son of Israel. You know, one of the ironies, too, it's interesting, is David is the king of Israel and a natural-born uh, Israelite. Uriah the Hittite is—well, he's a Hittite. He's not a, he's not a naturally-born Israelite, yet he's the one following the law of the Lord, not David the king. So plan one fails. What's he do? Well, instead of confessing and maybe trying to make the best of it and admitting his sin, David keeps manipulating. And now in a particularly wicked way, he sends Uriah himself with the command. It's in a, in a, in a military pouch, so Uriah doesn't read it. The command to Joab to send Uriah into the fiercest part of the battle, knowing full well that he'd be killed. Uriah, faithful soldier, does exactly what he's told. Notice he's obedient. David is bossing everybody around and manipulating. Uriah is, in fact, killed. After a brief period of mourning, Bathsheba comes to be with David and looks like problem solved, right? David did two very wicked things. He commits adultery, first of all, and then he commits murder. This is David. This is the sweet singer of the house of Israel. This is the great hero, the greatest of Israel's kings, and yet commits adultery and murder in um, in quick succession. 
But we hear, and here's the first mention of God in the chapter, but God is not pleased with what happened. Notice, please, fellow sinners, we're all, we're all in the same boat, we're all seasick, right? Fellow sinners. We, we all think we can get away with it. We all think as long as nobody knows, I'm okay. As long as nobody really finds out and my reputation isn't affected, well, I'm okay. Well, <laughs> think again. God sees. God knows. God knows. We're under a higher supervision, right? A higher providence. Never forget that. And now we come to our reading for today. Because God now wants to express his dissatisfaction with David. And so he sends his prophet, Nathan. And Nathan tells this wonderful parable. How cleverly, by the way, Nathan handles the situation. He says, my Lord, the king, I want to tell you a story, something that's happened in your kingdom. Tell the story of a poor man who has one little sheep who's almost like a, like a pet to him and his family. Doesn't have great flocks like, like a rich man, but just this one little uh, lamb whom he loves. Well, there's a rich man in the vicinity. The rich man is visited by important guests, decides not to take one of his own many, many uh, sheep from the flocks that he owns, but rather takes this one poor man's little lamb and has it slaughtered for his guests. And this terrible act of injustice and manipulation and domination, the rich and powerful taking advantage of the poor and simple. And, and the story is so powerful that David himself is, is roused to anger and says, surely that man must die. And Nathan, in one of the great one-liners in the whole Bible, says, thou art the man. The story is about you, King David. You who have all the power in Israel, you who have everything at your disposal, and yet you use your power in a wicked way to rob even the life of this poor man, Uriah. Devastating, right? Devastating, powerful, divine judgment. And again, fellow sinners, don't, don't shrink from the divine judgment when it falls upon us. God who knows and sees all, Sometimes we hear a message just like this. When we know we've done wrong and it's named in a clear way, don't shrink from it, but own it as the cleansing judgment of God. Listen now in our reading for today. Nathan speaking to David. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king of Israel. I rescued you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your Lord's house and your Lord's wives for your own. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. If this were not enough, I could come up still more. So why have you spurned the Lord and done evil in his sight? You've cut down Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You took his own wife as yours, and him you killed with the sword of the Ammonites. Now listen, the judgment. Therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. As 2 Samuel unfolds, read the rest of the book. Read the remaining chapters. This prophecy is devastatingly fulfilled. 
The sword never leaves the house of David. The suffering that flows from this terrible injustice remains. So it goes in a kind of biblical law of karma, if I can put it that way. Don't think that your sin, that my sin, is, you know, without consequence. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. David's wickedness here is the source of tremendous suffering for himself and those around him. Does God forgive him? Yes, indeed. Nathan says to David, the Lord on his part has forgiven your sin. You will not die. But don't think for a second we're dealing here with cheap grace. Eh, you know, adultery and murder, eh, I'm, I've been forgiven. La-di-da. God show me his mercy. But God's mercy is not cheap. His grace is not cheap. Watch in the rest of 2 Samuel how David is cleansed and purified and brought back to obedience to God precisely through the suffering unleashed by this double sin described in chapter 11. Friends, it's a wonderful meditation for all of us. Read these two chapters, 11 and 12 of 2 Samuel. A wonderful meditation for all of us sinners, all of us who, to varying degrees, abuse our own power and authority and manipulate others for our benefit. Watch the dynamics of this great story unfold and offer your lives again and again in obedience as a gift to God. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.